welcome to Sardisms, where we take great ideas and bring them together to have great conversations. Today, we have Dr. Umesh Prabhu, who has had many years experience in practicing medicine, as well as being a champion for patient safety. Through his own experiences, he has been faced with challenges of system failures, and his goal is to continually improve the NHS. It's really lovely to talk to you. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I think because maybe you came from from India because of you, because you had a cultural difference there's there's a sort of different attitude to the world you're not coming in as part of the in group i don't mean to say you're not the same as everyone but you're coming in as the in group and so when you when you join a panel or something you you bring you bring a bluntness perhaps that it is that, that's not very british and uh, and and britain there's a very strong british culture of not of not really upsetting the apple cart you know dr umesh prabhu coming in to a hospital and being able to say the emperor's not wearing any clothes and be able to point to things and, and point it out is is actually a, a super skill you you hit the nail on the head i had a lot of confusion you know and i always give an example here you tell them you may wish to do it my father will never tell me you bloody well do it mm-hmm. that is the difference i had a lot of difficulty in understanding english language when i came here and my english was pretty bad even now it's not good i used to talk ah eh? you know you know you know that's how i used to talk <laughs> you know today i laugh at it that's the reason why today i just laugh at it but i received lot of support from lot of people and mainly white people that is what amazes me about my life mm. you know that is what amazes me i talk about racism both my children are married to white <laughs> i could find better partners <laughs> <laughs> my whole life is topsy turvy <laughs> this the um pace difference isn't there in the indian language and english i think quite a few things you know some of this some of the i take it as a joke but some of the language implication and i'll tell you why we were pedi- i was pediatrician and we had a indian doctor one day you know dummy mm. dummy in the child's mouth and that mm. fell from a baby and he said where is nipple where is nipple because in india we call it nipple oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow and the second thing was <laughs> 1982 i came and one mother said my son has water infection i said why are you worried if water is infected <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> this language i i've got a top tip for people who are english who are working with indian teams this was pointed out to me by by an indian friend from hyderabad and i was working with some software engineers and yeah. i said there's a little bit of a problem just the language is they seem to be good at english and i can communicate with them but we just it just doesn't quite mesh together and he said kevin speak faster he said the pace of the indian language is is so much faster and more rapid that if you just speak faster they will find it easier to understand what you're saying in english but to be honest with you i think you had to be straightforward you know mm-hmm. you you have you if you tell them you may wish to do it they think oh i may not do it i might this is, that is how we talk in india yeah. you know please do it that's it and yeah. i really had difficulty you may wish to do it what does it mean shall i do it or shall i not <laughs> shall i not <laughs> you know? yeah there's a lot of um, hedging in english isn't yeah. there i think Absolute, you ab- absolutely I... and secondly one of one more thing i've learned english british culture is if it's somebody else's job you don't do it mm. because you think they you're going to upset him or her mm. whereas in india we don't somebody has to do it and mm. that is how that is how we are trained in india you know i studied in a kannada medium 
but I, you, you know, my town where in Canada is actually taught language. You know, it is not the spoken language because we speak three other, I speak five languages. Wow. When I went to the medical college, it's a very rough area. They speak very rough Canada. And the first day somebody swore at me, but that is how they speak that. <laughs> <laughs> very blunt. Yeah, very. That is yeah. the cultural difference. Mm. Yeah. And it's only 200 miles away. Mm. You know, that is how even in UK, you know, I went to five. I couldn't understand one third of the population there. Mm. You know, one day I saw a 14 year old boy. I remember very clearly. He said, is we be say, sir. I said, what is it? He said, we be say, sir. I said, speak English. He said, I speak English. Sir. Then I asked my consultant. He said, Umesh, he's telling you he's a little bit sore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That is in five. I, I love all these sort of like clash, clash of culture things. Culture is very interesting. I have learned a lot, you know, South Indian culture, North Indian culture, Muslim culture, white British culture, Irish culture. I'm hoping to write a book called Kichidi. It's all about culture. And culture is the one which is vulture. Human beings are loyal to culture. Mm. They are not birds of same feather flock together. And that is what has happened to our country now. And that's the reason why. There seems to be two big influences on your life. Well, more than two, I should think. But Mahatma Gandhi features a lot. Yeah, Mahatma Gandhi, my my grandma and my father. Yeah. What, what's so special about your grandmother, but also what she learned from Mahatma Gandhi? I, I think my, speci my special about my, my grandma was she was one of the kindest persons. She lost her husband when my mom was seven years old. She was four foot eleven. And she had no money to bring up three children. So she had to work in four houses and cleaning the houses morning to evening. I was apple of her eye. And she's the one who told me, always be honest, always be sincere. See good in others, do good to others. And focus only on you. One day you'll be somebody. And the last thing with Mahatma Gandhi, when you're doing something right, don't be afraid of anybody. You can cheat anybody, but you can't cheat your conscience. So what you feel, that is what Mahatma Gandhi said. What you feel, what you say, what you do, if it's in harmony, you are the happiest person. And that is what happiness is the secret of success. You have to be happy deep within yourself. And that's the reason why, you know, whatever happened to me, what I've achieved in Wigan, nobody can take it away from me. Because I used to go and meet nurses at night. I used to love it. One day I told my wife, I'm going to hospital at two o'clock in the night. She thought I was mad. <laughs> I said, after 25 years, if you're not realized, you will never realize. But I had great fun. I tweeted so much on that day. Because night nurses never get chance to see a leader. Mm. They made me coffee. I had great fun. I had great laugh. And they told me who are the consultants. They are scared to call at night. You know, that is what they know more than anybody else. I owe a lot to nurses. I owe a lot to junior doctors. And I had knowledge and skill because I was then case advisor. I know the regulation. And even then, you know, when I dismiss somebody, I don't sleep because his family suffers. But some people, they have to take responsibility. You know, people ask me, does the leopard change spot? You know, some lepers do. Some human beings don't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you had a lovely quote from Gandhi about the ocean. Yes. I think that's the best one. I think that is the one I always say. You know, don't lose faith in humanity. Humanity is an ocean. Few dirty drops do not make an ocean dirty. But also, immediately you have to say, fish rots from the head. So leaders must be very honest. That is where I always say Shakespeare, honesty is the best legacy. Mm. And then he says, hell is empty, all devils are here. 
So leader must be honest. Leader must know who are angel. Leader himself must be an angel and remove some devils. But you are not there to remove anybody. You have to help people. Because there are people with, I had to deal with consultant with autism, Asperger syndrome, gambling, alcohol problem, drug abuse. I have seen everything. But if you remove all of them, there won't be anybody left. Because each day we make five to seven mistakes. Yeah. And during the lifetime as a doctor, you see 200,000 patients. Imagine you make five to seven mistakes every day and you see 200,000 patients. So it is the system which must protect them. You can't expect doctors or nurses. They are human beings. That is why I tweeted last week. Trust me, I'm a human being. Treat me fairly. Treat me with respect. We can't blame doctors for making mistakes, but we must remove bad doctors. Then in between, you get doctors who need help. So that is why I said happy staff, happy patient, happy wife, happy husband, <laughs> not the mistress. <laughs> the mistress, you have more problems. <laughs> what kind of legacy you're trying to leave behind? I think my legacy must be a good one. You know, you're born with nothing one day. One day you're going to die with nothing. What you leave behind is your legacy. That must be kindness, compassion, humanity, and making this world better for everybody. That is what Mahatma Gandhi said, gently we can shake the world. Today, three billion people in this world have no access to drinking water. Mm. Five billion people have no access to safe surgery, and we think we got the problems. When I see the African children carrying the water with the infested with parasites, I just wonder what I'm doing here. Mm. One day I came to know 300 patients in nursing home with pressure ulcer. These are elderly people suffering because pressure ulcer is one of the worst pain. And these are 90, 97 who can't even move. And we call it human beings. Mm. And so what my legacy is, I just want to say he was a very nice person. You know, he cared for humanity. Whether you're a Hindu, Muslim, Christian, it doesn't make any difference to me. I never thought when I treated a child, whether it's a black, white, purple. Right. If I think that way, I fail. Hmm. A child needs me. That's it. And all junior doctors, nurses knew. If you're worried, call Umeshwar. I told them, if you want me in the night, don't beat around the bush. Tell me, I want you, Dr. Prabhu. I want you to ask question. But if you call me three times unnecessarily, I'll call you to my office. Because I have today a duty to teach you. And let me tell you, in 18 years, I was consultant. Not in once they called me unnecessary. That is what amazes me. I trained them. I taught them. And one day I was called, 3 o'clock in the morning, and the registrar couldn't put the tube down. And if she had not called me, baby would have dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. And because I live only five, that is why I bought the house within five minutes from the hospital. And that is why it's a very, very, that is why bullying is common, because it's a stressful job. Mm. Somebody's child in your hand. Right. And you have only three to five minutes to get the tube down. And that is why bullying is common, because you get stressed. You shout at the person next to you. And I remember one day we had a five-month-old baby with bronchiolitis. And I called the anesthetist to intubate. He said, Umesh, I'm very busy. I can't. So I had to intubate. I failed three times and heart was dropping to 20. I had a fortunately a very good nurse. She just held my hand. She said, Dr. Weep said, it's somebody who can do it. It's you. And that you went in mm. and baby survived. Oh, wow. That one word, one confidence from somebody who knows you. Even now, you know, when I think that incident, I sweat. With another five minutes, baby would have died. And that one sentence, that is what I teach junior doctors. That one sentence from her, Dr. Weep, there is somebody who can do it. It's you. That's it. Yeah. That's all I wanted, that boost. 
Yeah. And that yeah. you you went in and babies are away. That is why it's a very, very stressful job looking after anybody who is very sick. And then what happens? Doctors are suspended. Doctors are blamed. And that is the reason why I've been telling we need learning culture. We need supportive culture. We need helping culture. You only get rid of bad doctors. And that is only one person. And I've always owe a lot to nurses. Compassion, I learned from the nurses. So, But at the same time, I've seen arrogant nurses as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always said most important is arrogance and ego gets you. And there's a very thin line between confidence, arrogance, narcissism. And that is why humility is very important. I've always, I tweeted recently, humility is not a weakness. Arrogance is not a strength. Because we don't know what's in store for us tomorrow. Exactly. In the United States, professor of neurology, neurosurgery, died at the age of 48 with a brain tumor. He must have saved so many patients. And secondly, I've always had very soft corner for elderly patients. It's an Indian culture because not being able to look after mom and dad is hitting me because they are the most vulnerable. And for them, it is not doing more investigation, more intensive care. We need tender, loving care. We got to bring back dignity and respect, you know, in elderly patients by doing a lot of unnecessary investigation, admitting them to hospital. You know, each weekend we used to get 50 patients admitted to die. I said, hospital is not the place to die. No. Yeah. Mm. You know, we have to give option to the family because I wanted to have hospice within the hospital campus where people can die with dignity. Right. Die with respect, with all their loved ones around them. Because it is the pain, it's the distress we have to remove. Because we can't save everybody. One day we have to die. Mm-hmm. One day I'm going to die, but don't let me die with the pain. Exactly. Human story touches human beings. Every nurse, every doctor, when you give them feedback, that is important. You give them early feedback. You are not there to blame them. You are not there to bully them. You just tell them, this is what happened under our watch. And many nurses feel very bad. Many doctors feel very bad when they don't give good treatment to the patient. But because they are busy, they tend to forget. And there's a very good story. They asked the medical student to observe MAU consultants, whether they do everything during the ward round. And six weeks they observed. And out of five consultants, none of them did everything right every time. Then they gave them the checklist what to do. It improved by 98% except (laughs) one consultant who didn't change the behavior. Mm. They had to remove him because one day somebody will die. You know, that is the difficulty in medicine. Medicine is you have to be perfect. History taking, examination, vital signs. And that's the reason why people need checklists, WHO checklist for surgery. That is how poor the wrong leg was removed. He was so arrogant. He said, I don't believe in checklist. He removed the wrong leg. Did this come from the checklist manifesto at all, Gavandi? It's it's WHO checklist. Mm. It's a World Health Organization checklist. It is uh, Atul Gavande started in America and uh, now it is mandatory for all the trust. You have to make it easy. If you make it difficult, people won't follow. So what we did was we computerized a lot of things. And in India, I saw some amazing computer in Devi Shetty Hospital. We must automate a lot of these things. Atul Gavandi, who came up with the checklist manifesto, has been put on the advisory board by Biden. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Biden has got quite a few. I saw in his team, he has got three or four very big American Indians in that. And Atul Gavandi has written quite a few books, seven or eight books. And they are all fantastic books. Yeah, I've read um, the checklist manifesto, I think, applies to lots of industries, not not just 
healthcare, but uh, tech. Your presence on social media is quite big, especially on Twitter, and you post a lot of brave content. And I was just wondering, what's the benefit of your presence on social media? Two things. I started social media because many will ask me to start. I'll tell you, it's actually Dean Royal who asked me, Umesh, why are you not in the social media? Because I didn't believe in any of those things. <laughs> then then with my experience, I decided I'm going to teach them. I want to be so powerful. They don't know what to do with me. Yeah. That is how I met Jeremy Hunt, because I sent him private tweet. Oh, he wow. met me and he introduced me to Matt Hancock. And now I got 30,000 followers. They are so scared of me. <laughs> you know, that is what I love, you know, because I wanted to work with the system. Well, I'm very determined because what I'm doing is the right thing. One day you'll be patient. One day I'll be patient. Mm -hmm. You know, that is what Desmond Tutu said something about racism. He said, don't throw breadcrumbs at me. Invite me to the table. If you invite me, I'll be the guest. Otherwise, I'll be the worst because I know my dream. Hmm. My dream is good. My dream is to make NHS safest and the best. Mahatma Gandhi said, first they ignore you, then they ridicule you, then they fight you, then you win. I have to win not for my sake. I can go to India tomorrow, live like a king. Money has never been my weakness. Hmm. That is my strength. Umesh Prabhu is not for sale. <laughs> Even if you give me one million pound, I'll walk away. Yeah. Because I've always said to my children, earn money with hard work. That is the beauty. Mahatma Gandhi says, earning without is stealing. Mm. Earning without working hard is stealing. And that is the reason why I'm not for sale. My values are not for negotiation. My conscience is very clear. One day Jeremy Hunt will be patient. Mm -hmm. One day Matt Hancock will be patient, mm. whether they like it or no. Right. Yeah. And that is the reason why. So I, I, you know, it's NHS needs my skill and experience. And I'm not something, you know, great. I'm a, just a humble human being. But with great determination, a man, honest person with a lot of inside information is most dangerous. Right. Yeah. I did say to Simon Stephen when he took me to meet the Queen, Simon, don't even think he has stopped me making NHS safest and the best. I will use hook or crook. I want to use the hook, but if he ignored me, I'll use the crook. <laughs> you say, you know, we all end up basically in the NHS, dying in the NHS, uh, you know, at the end of our life. And at that moment, we probably realize things. Everybody in your in your world, in, in medicine, there's something that they have that the rest of the country don't, which is they're presented with that moment at the end of people's life, that in palliative care to actually see what matters at that moment when someone comes to the end? First and foremost, it is too late by that time. And let me tell you, my father and he had a lot of fight with his younger brother because of business and they didn't speak for a long time. Mm. And I was trying to bring them together. And one month before my uncle died, they came together, but they missed out all those years. Exactly. When I reminded my father, he cried. I told him, I told you many times. That's the reason why. Number one, it is too late by that time. So what we got to do is we got to live happily, respect each other when we are alive, when we are together. Happiness is the secret of success. Money comes and goes. Morality comes and grows. We have to be that. You can never return it back. That's the reason why. When you hurt, you hurt somebody whom you love a lot, who is very close to you. Your own family, your own wife, your own this thing. That's a human nature. So what we got to do by then, it is too late. Number two, I've always said, we must bring back death with dignity. I've always said, no, doing more operation at 98, doing more things is not the right thing. But I appointed good doctors. 
ask four questions. Who is a good human being? Who is a nice human being? Is a good team player? Whom do you want to see as a leader? Leader is a role model. Leader is one who gets on with the team. He respects everyone. He or she values everyone, appreciates everyone. I used to write nice email. I used to thank the staff. Every week I used to write nice email. I'm so proud of you. You are the one who is making this hospital better because it is they who made it, not me. Mm. I'm just a small jigsaw puzzle. You do common things uncommonly and you do repeatedly. Be authentic. There's a book here that I absolutely love. It's uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People That's right. by Daniel Carnegie. And it's such an old book. But one of, one of the first things it says is, you know, never criticize, condemn or complain. And I think that's often misinterpreted. But one of the one of the points he makes in it is that people never really take criticism and respond to it in a positive manner. It's very hard for someone to see themselves as doing something wrong. You you have to sort of guide them round and help help them progress to a better path rather than just block them. Correct. That is nothing like constructive criticism. You must learn to give bitter pill and sugar coat. I use a lot. I tweet a lot. You have to learn how to give bitter pill in sugar coating. And that is what I have learned. I was not good at it. Let me tell you, I was pretty bad. I was myself was arrogant. But then I studied Mahatma Gandhi. I changed my style. I always used to go to people's office. I never asked them to come to my office. I used to go to people's office. I said, why did you behave that way on that Wednesday in the meeting? And what do you think is the impact when you shouted at the nurse? one who has so much respect. And I'll tell you a story, absolutely brilliant story. One day I got a phone call. This is, one, this is the surgeon who had done operation on my mom, one of the nicest person you can meet. But that day he was doing a major operation. Nurse made a mistake. He shouted at her. She cried and went out for crying for 45 minutes. Oh. I got a phone call and I was told about it. So I rang. I said, because she is crying for 45 minutes. She's the one who respects you the most. Mm. She's the one who trusted you the most. She has worked with you for 16 years. Guess what he did? He took her for a lunch. He not only apologized, he took her for a lunch. What a beautiful story. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That is what you have to tell nicely to people so that they can understand. But before I hold you the mirror, I must look at mirror myself because neither I am perfect. Because under stress, we do a lot of things. Mm. Under anger, we do. I have made many mistakes, you know, under stress, under anger. When you are, you know, that is the reason why human beings, you have to understand the reason why they behave. When you understand the reason why they behave, you can help them. And that is the most important. You give negative feedback in a constructive way, in a nice way. You make them reflect. And you explore it with them. That is the most important. It's exploring with them. They must have the ownership of their behavior. It's not your behavior. They must have the ownership. So you have to guide them. You have to take them through. And that is the only way. And I also had, first time I tell you nicely, second time I tell you nicely, third time I tell you. Mm. I told both my children, none of us are perfect. I'm your father. I have a duty to guide you. That is how my father brought me up. When I make a mistake, first time tell me nicely, second time tell me nicely, third time go and tell your mother. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll tell you one more story. It's a beautiful story. And mother had a lot of respect for me. This baby was preterm baby. And baby was in the hospital for six weeks. And I attended with my juniors. And baby did very well. And baby came for follow-up appointment. And I was not supposed to see because I had busy clinic. And mm-hmm. she told my junior doctor, please, can you call Dr. Ru? I just want to thank him. You know, that is the reward oh. you get. That's yeah. the reward you get. You know, when I went to talk to mother just to say hello, I got a habit of keeping my hand on the babies just to reassure parents, I love your children. Mm-hmm. I kept the hand on the baby. And guess what? That baby's temperature was 30 degrees centigrade. Wow. Wow. And my registrar had completely missed it. Wow. <gasps> yeah. Just look at the story. I had just kept the hand just for my routine habit. And I felt so cold. I said to my junior, what's the temperature? He said, doctor, I have not recorded. And temperature was 30 degrees. And I said, this baby needs admitting. We have to warm the baby. We did the blood test. And that baby would have died that night. We had sent the baby home. That baby had hypothermia. That baby had DIC. And survived because baby was in the hospital next day. Wow. That is why I always tell my juniors, everything matters when you examine the baby. Mm. The touch, the feel, and that is the sixth sense. Because you have worked with children, you develop that sixth sense, which nobody can pass it on to you. No book can teach you. And what a beautiful story. And that story is much more interesting. We did the blood test and the lab was busy. So result came at around one o'clock in the morning. And my junior rang me. And he told me the result. And result was abnormal because I was half asleep. I said, fine, and kept the phone down. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, my brain woke up. He said, Umesh, that is such an abnormal blood test. And I rang the registrar. I said, he's a very good registrar. I said, why you didn't remind me? It was abnormal. He said, doctor, you are the consultant. It's an Indian culture. He was an Indian junior doctor. I told him, look, I may be a consultant, but when you wake me up from the fast sleep, <laughs> I'm blind. <blaming so. laughs> <laughs> 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 so I train my juniors to challenge. Mm. Because that is how you have to, that is where mistakes happen. Because you're half asleep. And that is the problem for doctors. You're woken up from half asleep. You know, that, those are the challenges we face as doctors. We're a revalidation company. We don't actually often cover it on the podcast much. No. And, and, a, and a big question that I wanted to ask you, you must have been very pleased to see the introduction of revalidation. Let me tell you, revalidation appraisal both have a role, but it sets the bureaucracy. Because without good governance, both are not going to change anything or it'll take a long time to change anything. Mm. And appraisal costs 100 million pounds every year. And that much money, you must think very carefully, is it worthwhile spending when you don't have money for nurses, when you don't have money for the doctors? So what I suggested is, I told this to even to GMC. You need appraisal, you need revalidation, but you need good governance. I use the good governance to identify bad doctors quickly and open and honest culture and staff coming to see me. That is what you need. If you don't have good governance, appraisal revalidation will take us a long time to reach where because your friends are not going to be honest with you. It is a culture of medical culture. And that is what culture is vulture. And we, there is NCAS data also. Your friends tell you wrong things nicely. 
your enemies tell you wrong things badly. And there were some pretty bad feedback about consultant. I had to remove it because it hurts you. And some consultants can be very nasty and blunt when they give feedback about their colleague. Mm. That is why I had to teach them all those things. You're talking specifically about multi-source feedback. Correct, multi-source yeah, feedback. I mean, we, we, we input hundreds of thousands of multi-source feedback forms every year. Yeah. And I have to say the vast majority of the comments are overwhelmingly positive. Correct. In fact, it actually makes it makes it very hard to analyze the data because pretty much everyone gets a five on is five 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 on on the quality on the quantitative measures. They're very high. In fact, the only real use for that data is to find the anomaly. You know, if there is some concern with a doctor, it's going to manifest itself in a abnormally low and when i say low this doctor gets a three from five patients out at, from five colleagues out of 20 it's you're looking for that just small little dip really to say there might be something worth looking at here you see my argument is you don't need any of those if you have a good governance yes you need feedback but we have to find a better way. But you need good governance, complaints, litigation, staff feedback, and patients' feedback. That tells you a lot more. I used to look at your out outcome for each and every surgeon. I can tell you a lot of stories, and data is very important. Productivity. We looked at 18 data, data for each and every consultant. Mm. Number of new patient follow-up. My senior consultant in pediatrics knew to follow-up ratios one is to nine. He never used to discharge anybody. And the clinic was like a market, cattle market. We used to see 60 patients in one clinic. And what quality you can provide. Right. And many of those follow-ups were unnecessary because he never trusted any other doctor. <laughs> mm. You see, doctors are very funny. Some of them think they are the best doctors. Everybody else is useless. I always tell them 50% of doctors are below average. <laughs> yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody likes to hear that. In fact, we had to change the color grading on our multi-source feedback to just to be kinder, basically, because as you say, most people don't want to know that they're in the bottom 50%. Correct. And if we start marking up their distribution, so what we do now is with the, the color shading on our multi-source feedback is actually skewed. So you only really get a red color if you're very <laughs> in the worst category. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're quite an outlier. And you mostly get kind of gray and then green if you if you're particularly so it leans towards basically have putting a positive spin like like we've discussed having a sort of sugar coating yeah. on the feedback because I think it I do agree with what's in this you know how to win friends and influence people book that people don't generally take it's not that they don't take it well it's actually just not very constructive uh, two things number one is nobody likes the criticism. You know, I always tell, how would you feel if I tell you your communication is atrocious? You become defensive. Mm. Whereas if you tell them, look, last Wednesday in this meeting, this is how we behaved. What do you think is the impact? That makes them think. Mm. I've always told my colleagues also, when you are telling something about me, don't write. Umesh, you don't know how to speak. Tell me example how I can improve. Mm. Because immediately I become defensive. It's a yeah. human nature. Mm -hmm. And intelligent people are the most dangerous. Who are the terrorists? They are very intelligent people. They use, misuse their intelligence. So intelligence people don't like criticism. Intelligent people who work hard, they get very upset. What the problem is, when you say something good, nobody feels you are. it is a sweeping generalization. Mm -hmm. When you say something negative, everybody thinks you are talking about them. It's yeah. a human nature. Well, I think the 
the problem when people are very bright is they're an excellent defense lawyer for their own ego. They can construct a good argument for why that isn't the case. If you need the lawyers, I need another two hours to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> we had a quite a nice chat where I felt really inspired for us as a company to look a bit more closely at the Indian healthcare system, not as a commercial venture, but just to see what learning there is. I think two things. I think I think UK has to look at India more. UK has been looking traditionally in America. America spent 17% of GDP on healthcare. He's a fool who looks at America. Great. Because 17% we can never afford. My cousin is that he makes $1 million. He's unhappy because he has worked in Leeds. He had to leave because he was not given consultant job. So he had to leave. Okay. I advise him to go to US and he's now doing very well, but not happy because he still loves NHS. Right. And he rings me to know about NHS because NHS is nothing like NHS, I can tell you. I'm just in love with NHS. Yeah. And let me tell you something. People ask me, why do you do tweet and everything? I said, everything is fair in love and war. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's by the by, because yeah. he loves so much. He rings me a lot and he asked me a lot and let me tell you india is a lot of things bad in india i can give you, you need the two hours for me to tell you what's bad but let me tell you what indian private sector has done is what we need you know efficiency value for money computers it devi shetty cardiac operation if you are a patient you get something you put in your heart you go home after operation it sends direct message to consultant if there's anything wrong with your heart they have removed all the middlemen. He has trained mothers and fathers to look after the child post-operatively. You know, these are the things. Because who is better than the mother and father who loves the child right. and watching? Right. They have to watch the video for three months and he has reduced the cost. He does major heart surgery for nearly, eight, I think, two and a half thousand pounds. Mm. Here it cost us fifteen to 20,000 pounds. Right. Yeah. So I always say, yes, I would like you to come to India. There are a lot of bad things in India. Arvind Eye Hospital, they have taught nurses how to do cataract operation. Wow. Yeah, and they do thousands of cataract operations. Extremely good. It's the it's the fifth generation now who are running that hospital, started by one of their great grandfather. Amazing hospital. That is what we have to learn. Mm. And what we've got to do is maintain the safety, maintain the quality, but reduce the cost. That is what is all about. Leadership is all about. You maintain the safety of the patient, maintain the quality, but reduce the cost. Skill mix and nurses doing a lot of things. Because there was a study long time ago in children's hospital, A&D, 85% of patients were seen not by consultant, by somebody below. So you can train anybody as long as consultant supervises everything because they got the ultimate knowledge. It is not that they're big. I always said to my consultant, you are going to respect nurses. You are going to respect porters. You are going to because patient care is teamwork and team is together. Everyone achieves more or together. Everyone annoys more. If you get on with everybody, respect everybody, value everybody, you can provide a great care. If you annoy each other, you are not going to provide the great care. And that is how I told you. That's the reason why nurse director chaired the meeting when I was not there, because I wanted to send clear signal to nurses, we value you, we respect you. And that's the reason why India, you know, efficiency, values, the digital technology, amazing digital technology in India. And those are the things which we got to bring here. And those are the things which we can, we can grow together. Coming together is beginning, working together is progress, winning together is success. And Nelson Mandela said, you know, everything looks impossible until it is done. Mm -hmm. Anything you can do, where there is a will, there is a way. 
where there is no will, there are plenty of excuses oh, for Jeremy Hunt or Matt Hancock to blame. Yeah. Mm. And some of my friends in BMA blame them for their wife's pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your origin story of how you got into medicine. That's very interesting. That's a fantastic question. I didn't want to be a doctor. Mm. I didn't want to be a doctor. My father was a businessman in a small village. And I used to love, you know, I was very naughty from the beginning. I loved people. I used to wear saris at the age of three years, showing customers how to wear a sari. I used to fool them. <laughs> okay, believe this. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember one customer came for one sari, went with seven saris. Right. And he told my father, put him in the business. He will do very well for you. That's what I wanted. Mm. I yeah. wanted to be. I wanted to retire at forty and see the world. Right. Because I was. I just love people. I like pulling your legs. Mm-hmm. You know. I got great sense of humor. I'm a party animal. <laughs> you know. That's that's. I've always had unusual personality. Yeah. You know. I'm full of life. Full of beans. Mm-hmm. I've always said life is there for happiness. Life is meant to be happy. Life is meant to be working together. Life is meant to. So that is what I wanted to do. But my sister was very clever. And she wanted to be a doctor. She is the one, my even today, she is my role model. Mm. And her story is, you know, now it's pretty bad, but very interesting. She wanted to be a doctor. She got into four medical college. She was not allowed because she was a woman. Oh, no. My uncle was dominant. And my father was very scared of my uncle. He was in a very good job in, in uh, somewhere in Bombay. He said, no women can go into medicine. So she cried for three days. Oh. I was only seven years of age. I was very fond of her. I was going behind her trying to reassure her. She got angry with me. She said, one day I'll make you bloody doctor. <laughs> That's what she did. <laughs> she did. She did it. Yeah, yeah. She put she, she put the application form. I was doing engineering. I wanted to be, you know, I was very clever in studies. I got very good marks. My father, you know, I said, I want to be an engineer. I don't want to medicine. So I was doing engineering, mechanical engineering in a, one of the best college in where I come from. And that story is also very interesting. I got scholarship, but I got bored within three months because there were no women there. Ah. <laughs> That's great. There was only one girl. Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> so this is in uh, Mumbai, is it? In Mangalore. Mangalore. Very friendly and very educated people there. And uh, you may have heard, they're very entrepreneurs. Um, KMC Medical College. It was a barren hill. Today, they got seven hospitals and nine medical college. Wow. Mm. Very high standard of medical college. Mm. Very high standard education. Mm. And everything is all education there. My father rang me. He said, you got interview next week for the medical college. I said, I'm not applied. He said, your sister applied. Ah. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then I went for the interview. I got last but one seat, believe it or not, because biology marks were not very good. Maths, mm-hmm. I had 98 or something like that. But biology, I had only 62 because I didn't like the subject. But I got last but one seat, merit seat, in a medical college, which is 200 miles away from my village. Wow. And I had never been out of my town. So I didn't want to go anywhere. Mm. And I cried when we were going there. I remember even today. But once I went to the medical college, I loved medicine. Mm. I loved children. Mm-hmm. I loved pediatrics and I had 20 years of amazing life. And uh, I got distinction in MBBS, distinction in DCH. And I had an amazing professor who made me who I am. 
Mm. And she, I, she, I was an adopted son. She didn't have marriage. She didn't know. She didn't have. She didn't marry anybody. She was a spinster. And mm. uh, we did research. We did everything. We we reduced tetanus. We wiped out from thirty-two villages tetanus wow. by giving vaccine. And it was an amazing life we had there. We didn't have much. A lot of malnutrition. Everything we saw there. But I became a very good clinician because uh, we used to admit each day 50 to 60 patients and four to five used to die. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And you became very strong clinically. And I was struggling to get MD seat. And then my friend came from Hartlepool. He said, come to UK. I said, what is UK? <laughs> I went and told my father he had heart attack. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. yeah. Because nobody had left the village. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing he said, when are you going to get married? <laughs> I don't want a white daughter in law. <laughs> so, whole life has been an absolutely amazing journey. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Really good to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you to all our listeners who tuned in to today's episode of Sardisms. We've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with Dr. Prabhu and hope you've enjoyed hearing his experiences that have helped shape the person that he has become today. You can find out more about Sard by visiting sardjv.co.uk or send us a tweet on Twitter at sardjv and use hashtag Sardisms. Until next time, have a great week. Mm-hmm.